Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Wisdom, a study through Proverbs. Here's an interesting thought. Alcohol is the most commonly used drug in America. Did you hear me say drug? It is the most commonly used drug here in the U.S., The Addiction Center reports that 18 million people are addicted to alcohol. And personally, that number is probably low. When you start to look at the drugs that uh, people are in bondage to in our culture, alcohol is number one. 4.2 million people are addicted to marijuana. 1.8 million are addicted to painkillers. Cocaine, heroin, all these other drugs are mentioned in this conversation. I was talking to Butch, who he and Richard and uh, others uh, that help spearhead our recovery ministry on Thursday night, and he made this observation. He said, in our generation, alcohol was the gateway to all other drugs. Today, it's alcohol and marijuana that's the gateway that opens the door to all these other sick, insane uh, drug addictions that we find uh, people living in. I said, that's, that's interesting. The alcohol industry generated more than $253 billion in 2018. That's billion with a B. They spent over a million just on advertising. When you, when you get into these conversations and you start to approach the topic of alcohol, It produces extreme emotions with people. There's heartfelt cries. There's lifelong struggles. There's hurt. There's sorrow. There's pain. There's ruins. And there's devastation. 88,000 deaths per year are caused by alcohol in the U.S., The CDC reported that six people die every day of alcohol poisoning. 38% of the people killed by homicide and 38.2% of the people who died by suicide tested positive for alcohol. Red, red wine. Billy Currington came out and started singing that God is great beer is good and people are crazy the eagles woke us up to a tequila sunrise we jumped on ship with buffett and we headed to margaritaville and david allen coe was drunk the day his mama got out of prison it doesn't matter what genre of music that you listen to whether it be rock whether it be country whether it be soul Alcohol is promoted and almost adored, and drunkenness and raising hell and partying is like, it's cool, you've got to do it. That's our culture. What is your view on alcohol? Maybe you walked in here today and you're like totally against it. It's wrong to drink. There's some of you in that boat. Others would say, uh, I think it's okay to drink as long as you don't get drunk. 
that's where some of you land. Others would say, um, you know what, Tim? I don't even know. I, I don't even know how to take a biblical stance or a real strong position on it. As we go through Proverbs, we find ourselves in chapters 23 and 24, and in Proverbs chapter 23, I want to read out of the message, Eugene Peterson, the way he captures the essence of this text is so powerful, but I want you to think about this. He says, be wise. Again, the book of Proverbs is contrasting wisdom and foolishness, people that he calls simple, hey, make the right choice, get in the right direction. He says, uh... Be wise and point your life in the right direction, which for us is surrender to Christ, become a follower of the Lordship of Jesus, submit to biblical truth, allow the Holy Spirit to have freedom in your life, don't do anything to hinder God's work, point your life in the right direction. Then he goes on to say, don't drink too much wine and get drunk. Drunks will end up on skid row in a stupor. Dressed in rags. Who are the people that are always crying the blues? Who do you know who reeks of self-pity? Who keeps getting beat up for no reason? Whose eyes are blurry and bloodshot? It's those who spend the night with a bottle, for whom drinking is serious business. Don't judge wine by its label or even by its flavor or taste. Judge it rather by the hangover it leaves you with, the splitting headache, the queasy stomach. Do you really prefer seeing double speech all slurred, staggered and seasick, drunk as a sailor? You will say, they hit me, but it didn't hurt. They beat me and I didn't feel a thing. And when I'm sober enough to manage it, bring me another drink. See, I know people that have lived at this address, not just for days and weeks, but for years. People that are in bondage, people that are just absolutely overtaken by the ruins of alcohol. And when I read through Proverbs 23, I'm like, man, that life sounds so brutal. Fighting, hangovers, headaches, Queasy stomachs, sick, puking your guts up. Call it what it is. And I don't know one person that's in bondage at this level that's proud of the way they're living. And you've got to stop and go, what led you down that path? I didn't come to faith in Christ until I was... 22, almost 23 years old, and when I partied in high school, in college, when I would go out with these dudes and we were going to waste it away and it was going to be a night of tying one on, the guys that would get just sloshed, I remember their manifestation of their behavior was usually one of three things. They would drink so much and they would become Rocky Balboa wanting to fight everybody they saw. I'm like, look at him. Or they would get all this liquid courage and become Lance Romance, the ladies' man. And I'm like, there you go. And some of these cats would drink and become all emotional and just start hugging you. And I love you and you're my best friend and I don't know where I would be without you. And that was pretty much the three responses I saw 
to drunkenness. I was told as a young boy, if you drink, you're going to hell. I didn't want to go to hell, but I still drank. You're going to go to hell if you drink. Is that in the Bible? Is that true? If you drink too much, you will feel like hell. (laughs) Personal experience. When I was 14 years old, the door kind of swung open for me. I was introduced to beer, seven-ounce Miller ponies that were also used to throw at mailboxes going down the road. I was also introduced to Mad Dog 2020, which gives you an indication of which side of the tracks I grew up on. We were poor. Rich kids drink Michelob. We were drinking the cheap sauce. But I was told that, hey, you're going to hell. Now, listen to me. I came to faith at the age of 22, right before I was 23 years old. Started going to church. I wanted to know God. And so I stopped drinking. But people at the church told me when I first got saved, Tim, you got to understand that when the Bible talks about wine, it, it really means grape juice. I said, for real? Yeah, it's grape juice. It's not talking about wine. And I said, okay. Tim, you need to read the Bible. If you're going to follow Jesus, you need to get into the Word. And I said, okay. So I started reading in Genesis. By the time I get to Genesis chapter 9, I read in verse 20 that after the flood, Noah planted a vineyard. And one day he became drunk on some wine he had made and lay naked in his tent. It's like, I thought y'all said that was grape juice. (laughs) Barb has never come home and found me naked laying in the living room, staring at the ceiling fan because I had two glasses of Welch's grape juice. (laughs) Now, let me go ahead and clarify. She has never come home and found me laying naked in the floor, period, because I was drunk either. So we need to get that one clear. (laughs) Hey, Noah. No way. Dude, you had some grape juice. We use grape juice in sippy cups for our kids. And if it was lethal, we would never have given that to them. People say, well, it it means grape juice. I'm like, hmm. Here's what I started noticing even amongst church people. We oftentimes attack what we're less likely and less tempted to do. And we oftentimes elevate what we think to be sinful if it's not something that we're really used to giving into. So the problem with the church, John, is that people started attacking things and shunning it, putting it down. It's like, hold on, just because that's not your temptation. But yet they would ignore conversations on gluttony and self-righteousness and pride and gossip, but they would throw their rocks at this one. But it doesn't make it all right. So the more I started studying, I'm like, God, what do you have to say about strong drink, wine, alcohol? Not the Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, the uh, Assembly of God, the Catholics. I didn't care about that. I'm like, God, what do you have to say? Because, Lord, I was told that all drinking was wrong. But I'm reading the scripture, 
Tim, you got to read the Gospels. I, I want to read the Gospels. Read the Gospel of John. It's so practical. I read the Gospel of John. In the beginning, chapter 1, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of Jesus, only begotten of the Father, full in grace and truth. As many as received him, he gave them the right to become, become children of God. I'm like, man, I like John. Let's read chapter 2. There was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and Jesus was there. And when the wine ran out, I'm like, they done ran out of wine. The mother of Jesus said, son, they're out of wine. She didn't say, listen, they're out of grape juice. She said, they're out of wine. And then Jesus just does Jesus. They allow him to be in charge of refreshments, and he screws up a lot of our theology. <laughs> Jesus, you're in charge of refreshments. They're out of wine. He turns water into wine. He keeps the celebration going. It's a seven-day-plus celebration. And even the head waiter said to him, do you realize that Every man serves the good wine first, and when people have freely drank the good wine, they break out the Boone's Farm and serve that, but you've broke out the best for last, and you've kept the good wine until now. So I'm reading through this going, it's wine. Stop. But don't leverage this text to justify your sinful and irrational and irresponsible behavior. Because wine was a beverage of choice in that day. Wine was symbolic of joy. Wine was celebratory. Wine was never applauded by Jesus to be abused and misused. They drank a glass of wine. And there's a lot of cultures where kids and families grow up having a glass of wine with a meal. And you don't see, like in a lot of the French cultures and in other places, people that are just full-blown drunks and alcoholics. But in our culture, you do. Because of the filtration systems in that day, the water was not clean. Go back and study it. It was cloudy and still and stagnant. Even when God gives John the revelation uh, on the Isle of Patmos, and he said, write to the churches. The church at Laodicea had all this money and all this wealth. They had a brutal aqueduct system. Their filtration system for water was terrible. They would drink wine. Scripture talks about wine. Yeah. Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist came on the scene. The Pharisees and others says, look, he don't even drink, and, and he's got a demon. The Son of Man, Jesus, comes on the scene. He's eating and drinking, and they're like, he's a friend of sinners. So the teetotaler got ripped, and the one that was partaking got ripped. Both of them did. So, so what, what are you saying? I'm saying Jesus loves sinners, but Jesus never promoted sin. Jesus cared about people and would eventually die on the cross for sin, for sin. But when you study it, Jesus never, never, never endorsed abuse or misuse of alcohol. 
But he never condemned having wine any more than he condemned having bread. But sinful people will abuse what is not even sinful. You see, God has given us great gifts. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above. God has created a lot of things for our enjoyment, but sinful man and sinful hearts leap toward abusing anything given by God. It's in the human heart. And so our, our bent is to abuse and misuse anything that God's given us. Sex is a beautiful gift outside of the confines of marriage. It, it's jacked up. He goes, don't do that, but it's a gift. There, there's so many gifts he's given us. Money is a gift, but you view it the wrong way and it becomes torturous. It's every good gift comes from me. But see, lost humanity, the heart is deceitful and wicked, and who can understand it? It's very sick. We were born dead in our sins and trespasses, Scripture tells us. So sinful people misuse gifts of God, and they turn them into hedonistic, pleasure-seeking opportunities. As I studied this, I'm like, sin is not in the object. It's in the heart of the person. It's not in the object. Tim, read. You got to read the Word. I'm reading the Word. It says wine. Well, you need to read C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. That's a good book. Read it. Lewis and his buddies would hang out in a British pub and drink a pint of cold beer as they talked theology and wrote books. I'm like, hey, you wanted me to read Lewis? He's over here throwing down a cold one. <laughs> well, Tim, if you're really serious about going into ministry, you've got to really acquaint yourself with the epistle writings, okay? So you really need to comb through Timothy and Titus. In 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, lay out responsibilities and qualifications for a pastor, an elder, a shepherd. Okay? I'm going to get to 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, and it says, An overseer must be above reproach. Yes. Not addicted to wine. The word is addicted. The word is dependent. The word is consuming it. The word is in bondage to it. Hey. Y'all told me I was going to hell if I drank, but Paul's over here telling Timothy that even for an overseer, he cannot be addicted. He even told Timothy, sip a little wine. The medicinal value is good for your gut, bro. It's like, man, so how do we view it? Stop. Wine appears throughout the pages of Scripture. So you've got to stop, I promise you, and you have to stop and ask the question, okay, is it wrong biblically? Is it wrong culturally? Or is it wrong personally? Then you've got to stop and say, okay, it is the most common used drug in the U.S. Over 18 million people are addicts. Is it a drug or is it a beverage? So when you came to faith in Christ, you walked away from it for 15 years because it was a drug. I never drank a beer or a glass of wine to have a beer or a glass of wine. It was to have six. It was to have 12. It was to get hammered. Stop it. You're in bondage to that. So for 15 years, I walked away. You want a beer? No, I can't have a beer. Why? Because I was a slave to it. It run 
and ruled and wrecked my life at times. Fifteen years later with some friends, they're like, would you like a glass of wine? And the Holy Spirit said, you can have a glass of wine. Not two, not four, but this is a statement of your freedom. You can have a glass, but walk away. Some of you sitting here, after five years, after 10 years, after 20 years, you can't have a glass of wine. Don't do it. You can't. You don't have any breaks. Don't do it. You have no breaks. Is it a drug or is it a beverage? And here's the, here's the truth. In our culture, alcohol controls so many people's lives. So many people are in bondage. So many people, their whole schedule is it's worked around when they're going to have another drink, when they can start that buzz, when they can get their little brown water fix. Some of you in this room right now are hiding, and you know it. You've got vodka stein somewhere that you're going to pour in your QT cup and try to mask it. That's happening in this room right now. Some of you got some hidden stash. And Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, do not get drunk with wine. Hey, walk in freedom. Be wise. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine. It leads to dissipation, which means it starts to expire. It doesn't keep you going. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, which implies don't do anything that quenches the Holy Spirit. And if you ask most people that are still like justifying drinking, ask them to go, when you drink, does it increase your worship of Jesus? Anything that does not increase my worship of the Lord, I've got to stop and evaluate it. Don't get drunk. Don't get dependent. Listen, alcohol alters the mind. It jacks with the mind. It jacks with the psyche. And it can cause you to quench the Holy Spirit. You see, one of the things that we read in Ephesians is the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. You've got control. So here, here would be Personal, just personalize it. Can you go a day? And will you go a day without a drink? Can you go a week? Can you go a month? Can you go a year? There, there's a whole different thing called dry drunk syndrome where pe people are not using, but they're still jacked up on the inside. We're talking about getting free in Jesus. We're talking about walking in the righteousness of God. We're, we're, we're talking about walking in the enjoyment of the Lord with nothing, with nothing hindering our walk. Can you go a day, a week, a month? Have you ever said, I, I can stop anytime I want to. I can lay it aside whenever I want to. 
Why haven't you? I've heard that one. You get a look and go, do you need a couple of drinks to relax? Do you use alcohol to drown your sorrows? Deep down inside, are you concerned that you've opened up this door and you're in bondage and there's some addiction inside of you that it has become a stronghold? Have others around you that love you voiced the concern? You've got an issue going on here. You're killing yourself. You're messing up your life. Do you use alcohol to sedate, medicate, validate? Is every occasion an opportunity for you to express your freedom that you can drink? Do you look forward to your time in the bottle? And if so, you got a problem. If so, alcohol's got a stronghold on your life. The thing that jacks with us in this culture is it's legal. Once you turn 18, 21, whatever the state and whatever the age is, the thing that jacks it up for us is that you can just go buy it whenever. I mean, pain pills is a little harder to get. Got to jump through maybe a few more hoops. Maybe if you live in Colorado and California, you can be in love with Mary Jane now, and that's permissible. But alcohol in our culture is so accessible, and it's so easy to get it. And it wrecks and destroys lives. Alcohol can destroy families and relationships. Not only does it control people, but it can, it can wreck your family. Listen to this. 25,000 people are killed each year in alcohol-related car accidents. This is a recent study. The population of Loganville is 12,500. That's wiping Loganville off the map twice. That's a real number. 500 people are killed each week. 71 people are killed each day. One person is killed every 20 minutes in an alcohol auto-related accident. It's estimated that one out of every two Americans will be in some type of car wreck involving alcohol. Sad. Alcohol-related crashes are the leading cause of death for people between the ages of 16 and 24. My second year here, we had to get confronted with that stat. 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, bam. Going with the mom to the morgue. She has to unzip the body bag. She wants to see her son. And it was so emotional. You see, alcohol is ruining and destroying lives. Over 50% of all fatal car crashes involving two or more automobiles is alcohol-related. Over 65% of all fatal single-car crashes involve alcohol. 80% of all fatal car crashes occur between 8 p.m. and 6 a.m. 
darkness. And I'm just telling you, I've seen it destroy families, destroy marriages. And some of you, you grew up in families where there was abuse and misuse of alcohol, drugs, you name it. And some of you walk in here today and you're so beat up and scarred by the marinade that you came out of. Parents got to raise in hell, fighting, throwing, sinking pots, pans, and plates at each other. Some of y'all, that's your narrative, and it breaks my heart. I'm so sorry. For some of y'all, based on what you went through, you never even want to see alcohol. I got a buddy, Ron, whose daughter, his only child, was killed when a drunk driver hit her head on. And she left behind two young kids at that time. And he's like, I've got no room for people who drink and get drunk. I feel your pain, brother. Some of you sitting in here, it cost you a marriage. Some of you sitting in here right now, it's cost you so much financially, it's not even funny. Some of y'all have been in and out of rehab because of alcohol. It's a gateway drug. It opens the door. Once it don't buzz you and make you feel the way you want to, you'll end up usually opening the door to something else. And it breaks my heart that for some of you, you were abused by it. You saw the ruins. And your heart is hurting today. And you're like, I, I, I don't even want to deal with it. You see, the Bible talks about wine. And most even conservative scholars believe it was probably 5 to 20 proof. So it talks about wine. But we live in a culture because of the sickness and the wickedness inside the human heart that we jack up pretty much everything. Tim, I got, I got, I got the freedom to drink. Oh, oh, okay. But for so many people, it's a stumbling block. And I've heard so many people say, I'm going to exercise my freedom. But there's people around you that can be a stumbling block too. Romans 14 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink. The kingdom of God, getting saved and born again and walking with the Lord, is not about eating and drinking. The kingdom of God is about living a life of goodness. It's about living a life of peace. It's about living a life of being joyful in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is about goodness and grace and mercy and peace and loving others. And he goes on to say, let us do everything we can to aim. Let the target be that we're shooting at. Let, let us aim at that target of harmony and preserving the unity of the Spirit and building other people up. That's the target we're trying to hit. We don't want to tear people down. We don't want to be a stumbling block. And as I said, inside the church, there's stumbling blocks. Alcohol, it's one of them. Gluttony, it's one of them. Pride, worry, gossip, self-righteousness. Stop. 
We don't want to do anything that hinders the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. We don't want to do anything that would take away from the power of the gospel that would hinder us in our worship of God. I don't want to do anything to hurt that. Romans 14, 12 says, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Even Hebrews says that we are all going to stand before the Lord one day and give an account. I'm going to give an account, not only for the way I've lived my life, but did you become a stumbling block for others? Again, I've had people tell me, man, I can do whatever I want. I'm grown, brother. No, you're not grown. You're an idiot. There's a different word for you. Well, I'm grown, man. I'm 21. I can do whatever I want to do. No, you're foolish. One of the signs of being mature is not destroying yourself and destroying those around you. Uh, I've got the freedom to drink. No, you've got the freedom to be responsible. You've been plucked out of the ruins of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light. And God was kind enough to pour out his Holy Spirit. Not so that you've got the freedom to drink and party and do whatever. The freedom of the gospel, the liberating power of the gospel, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free, leads us to living a life of being responsible vertically and then horizontally. And as I've pondered this conversation this week, I will tell you this with all my heart. Alcohol is not the answer. It just makes you forget the question. It's not the answer. So what's the question? Why did God create me? He created me to worship him and enjoy him and find satisfaction in him. What's the question? What is your purpose for being on the planet? To know God, enjoy God, and glorify him forever. What's the question? Who's your authority? Who calls the shots in your life? What calls the shots in your life? Who are you bowing to? Who's your master, ruler, authority? What's the question? Am I really surrendered to the lordship of Christ? Or am I justifying irresponsible behavior that's absolutely annihilating me and the collateral damage toward others is devastating. See, here's the deal. If you're battling alcohol, marijuana, pills, heroin, pride, anger, porn, fill in the blank. We want to help you. We exist to see restoration take place in your life. We don't want to see anyone continue to live as a prisoner chained up to these unhealthy things that the enemy has tied you up with. You see, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus has come so that we can have life and have it to the full. And I beg you, Part of our recovery team is going to be available during our prayer time. They will be available after the service today. You go, I need help. But you've got to get honest. I need, I need help. I've been hiding. I've been covering. I've been lying. I've been justifying. I, I need help. So even as you study through the book of Proverbs, there's all this wisdom. But sp specifically, Steve, when we deal with this topic of alcohol, 
I was thinking through this, and I'm like, there's four major things that jump off the page. People that are given to alcohol and bondage, it will cause poverty in your life. You'll end up spending money on stuff. I'll never forget when I got saved, and they're like, now the Bible tells us to tithe. I'm like, really? That was a lot cheaper than my bar tab. I'm like, God's asking me to release Mike to him 10%. What a savings. I'm spending more of that on this other crap that's killing me. I'm like, I want to honor God. I was killing myself. It can destroy lives and families, as I've mentioned. It reduces sound judgment. You will not be able to reason with sound judgment when you're hammered, drinking. And I promise you, it will lead to regrets. I've never heard one person that wasted away their money and their time and their weekends and their energy on alcohol. I've never had one look at me going, hey, man, you know those 20 years I raised hell and drank like a guppy? It felt good for my, my kids not to have shoes. It felt good for me not to put food on the table. It felt good for us to be homeless. Every, every person says, here's what I regret. I took money away from our family. I took time away from our family. I took investing in my family away. I wrecked myself. I ruined my marriage. I jacked up my kids. I promise you, Drew, every person I've ever talked to has got a list, Brandy, of regrets. But, but, but Tim, you said it, it, the scripture said it's wine, right? Yeah. I've heard the foolish arguments of John chapter 2 and Noah. I, I've, I've heard them. I just know in our culture, it is destructive. What are you saying? Don't get drunk. Don't get dependent. If it's a stronghold, let's deal with it. Quit making excuses that you need it to deal with your stress. Jesus, thank you for saving me where I don't have to go to hell, but I'm going to drink to deal with my worries and stress. Really? Quit making excuses. Do not allow anything to hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Do not allow anything to take you away from the enjoyment and worship of the Lord. Again, I promise you, alcohol does not increase your worship of God. Thank you so much for watching the message today. We hope that this message inspired you and challenged you as you watched it. I encourage you to check out our website. It's thecrossloganville.org. There's a lot of information about our church there uh, that maybe can help you answer some questions about who we are. And don't forget that on our website, we have old messages and archived series. So you can spend a lot of time there learning and exploring. If you have any questions, you can contact us via the web or you could call us at the church at 770-554-3322. Thanks again for watching.